You're listening to Dr. Tony Nader, the podcast, dedicated to exploring the full potential of human physiology and mind with focus on ancient and modern techniques of self-development. Spend some time with Dr. Nader, who is leading the way in the science of consciousness and begin your journey to better understanding the relationship of mind and body, consciousness and physiology right now. It is no secret that transcendental meditation, practiced by over 6 million people worldwide, can benefit our health by lowering stress and improving brain and cardiovascular health. What is proven to be more elusive is the concept of our consciousness, how our meditative efforts tie into the world around us, and how to reach a fulfilled place in our lives. These are just some of the topics to be explored in an interactive Q&A between Bob Roth, the CEO of the David Lynch Foundation, and Dr. Tony Nader, neuroscientist and globally recognized expert in the science of consciousness. Hosted by Katera Noviello Kapoor as a part of the 92nd Street Wise Spark Your Health series. Good afternoon, everyone. Thank you for joining us this afternoon. I'm Katira Noviello Kapoor, and I am the Senior Director of Health Promotion, Wellness, and Athletics at the 92nd Street Y. I'm pleased to welcome you to this afternoon's Spark Your Health talk with Dr. Tony Nader and Bob Roth. Thank you very much for having us, and this is very excited about this conversation, Dr. Nader. So much to talk about. I, I'd like to, if it's okay with you, start off just with sort of point value about what's going on in the world today and the concerns people are feeling today, and then bring this to this wider discussion of the field of consciousness and what exactly is consciousness and why understanding consciousness is absolutely pivotal to addressing problems that we may have, but also living life to its full potential. So you're a medical doctor and you look at the world around, you know, the whole world seems to be suffering to a certain degree of, with post-traumatic stress, not just individuals, but the world itself hyperreactivity, insomnia, high blood pressure, substance use disorder. What kind of a prescription would you give as a medical doctor, as an expert in consciousness, as the foremost authority in the world of transcendental meditation? What type of a prescription would you give to the world today to address this problem? Today, the prescriptions are on many levels, as we know, diet, exercise, uh, healthy living, in terms of daily routine. And often we forget that the mind that, that is carrying us through our thought processes that lead us to action and decision-making is a very important factor in actually being able to do the right things. Sometimes we know what is healthy, what is right to do, but we are stressed, we are strained, we are pressured, and our mind leads us to decisions that are not always uh, healthy and always helpful. Also, the mind has been shown through repeated scientific research to have a very powerful effect on how the physiology works. So there are things we do that are things that we take in from the environment, be it food or air or even thoughts, impressions, advertising, and all of that, which we can try to control. But there is also how we interpret those, how we digest them, 
and whether we are able to overcome certain things that come onto us. And therefore, there is a very important factor that often is not included in the equations of health. And that is how we can make our mind more clear to make the right decisions, how we can make our mind and physiology able to metabolize and digest circumstances as well as foods and diets and exercise being done properly. And there is a technology of consciousness. We have heard of different aspects of mindfulness and meditation. And we have researched all of these. And I would prescribe something that I feel is fundamentally important. And that is to be able to get beyond the changing level of excitement and outer activity and take a few minutes to be with oneself and recover from the harassment of thoughts and feelings and emotions and expectations that come to us from the outside. It is not withdrawing or going away somewhere else or running away. It is called transcending. To transcend means to go beyond but to go beyond in the sense of going back towards the source of creativity and intelligence and towards ourselves in its most natural, holistic value. There is something within us which is our true inner self, which transcends the feelings, the belongings, the identities of our small self. And that allows us to discover something very precious within us that is our bigger self. And this is happening through transcendental meditation, which is the number one prescription that Bob prescribes to everybody and that I would be with him and support his wonderful activities and the wonderful activities of the transcendental meditation programs in the United States and everywhere that have shown scientifically to make life better for all those who tried this technology of consciousness. So in terms of health in its most complete level, we have to start on a platform of inner strength, inner stability, ability of our physiology to handle situations and circumstances, and transcendental meditation has proven scientifically to do just that. It gives clarity of mind, makes the individual uh, go towards decisions that are healthy, it improves behavior, and it directly improves the biology of the system, including the nervous system, the activities on the brain, the coherence between different parts of the brain that allow us to make better decisions, improves the hormonal level, rejuvenates the body, and give us a good start so that all other activities are integrated and are most effective in making us healthy. Thank you. A lot of parents are concerned about their children, that the 24-7 the social media everything that there's more and more uh, signs of high levels of anxiety and stress among children and uh, unhealthy behaviors. Is this something that a child can do? Could you talk about 
how a child could do this? Maybe even give a, a short explanation of what actually happens during transcendental meditation and why a child could do that. It's a natural technique, which means it uses the nature of the mind to search for more. We are all searching for more charm, more happiness, more fulfillment, but we always do it through the senses towards the outside. As we said, inside of us, there is something very profound, which is our inner deep true self that is very charming and most attractive if we direct ourselves towards it. So what happens in transcendental meditation is very simple. We, we take the inward direction. So we close the eyes, we sit comfortably, and we allow the mind to go towards the inner value. There is a technique of how this happens. And the mind settles down by its own nature, which is to search for more. So it is not a technique that requires concentration, contemplation, forcing the mind, manipulating the mind, manipulating the thoughts, uh, trying to analyze the thoughts. All of this is not part of transcendental meditation, which, by the way, is not a philosophy. It's not a system of belief. And therefore, all of these values tell us why it's easy for a child in their innocence to actually practice this technique because they don't have to force anything. They don't have to be unnatural. It's a very simple process, very simple technique that children can learn from the age of five until the age of 10, we have what we call opens eyes walking technique. So they do it like that. And then from 10 on, they sit comfortably in a chair and practice this very simple innocent technique. In fact, children do so well because they're not complicated. Mm -hmm. uh, and what this technique requires is simplicity, innocence, which we learn how to do if we are too complicated anyway, but children do it uh, in a, such a spontaneous, innocent way, and they feel so good. We have so much good results about their behavior. And Bob, you can tell us about the results also in the different schools that have been teaching transcendental meditation, even not so privileged places that have had all kinds of problems and disruptions of curriculum because of inability to attend school, because of fighting, because of all of that, and all the wonderful results that we have had. So it's a very effective proven technique. It's uh, science-based in a sense because it's systematic. The way you teach it is very systematic. The results are reliable which means when you do it, you get the results and they are repeatable. When you do it again and again under different circumstances, you find that the results are there. And so this, this is really a very, very powerful approach to for the children as well as the adults. Thank you. Another question that uh, has come in. Uh, there are a lot of people have tried different types of meditation and they say, I'm not skeptical that meditation can work. I just can't do it. You know, they've, they've tried different types. I just can't do it. And how, how, is it, how would you explain that this is, don't give up, that this is different than a technique that involves some concentration or control of the mind? Yeah, exactly. This is why I said it doesn't require understanding a theory. You know, it's like 
you have electricity and all you need to know is the flip the switch to get electricity so you just flip the switch and you get electricity you don't have to be an electrical engineer or understand electromagnetic fields for it to work so this technique is a technique that's why we call it transcendental meditation technique it doesn't require any understanding on terms of its mechanism of action its philosophy or anything of course during the course these are presented so that one understands what's happening with the mind but basically the technique itself is extremely simple this is number one it is natural which means you know when you're reading a book and if the book is not interesting and some music starts next door you find your mind going to that music in a natural, innocent way. So even though your eyes are on the words and the lines, your mind is listening to the music. This process of shifting from one aspect of attention to another happens spontaneously. If you try to force the mind to be on the book, then you have to create pressure and this is what concentration is so what transcendental meditation technique uses is the tendency of the mind to go towards something more charming and this tendency happens or this shifting attention from one aspect to another happens totally naturally you don't have to force it whereas techniques that try to force the mind to stay, for example, on the breath or to stay on um, the, the meaning of thoughts. And then you are forcing and you have had a long day and you're tired. And now again, you have to do something more that becomes a strain. And that's why people say, I can't do it. I just can't do it. Uh, and that's why the technique is different. This transcendental meditation technique is so simple. It just allows the mind to go where it wants to go and yet gives it a direction towards the most charming place to go. And that is why there is a teaching that happens in three, four days, every day, one and a half hours or so. And then you are able to practice on your own. So it's a self-technique, do-it-yourself kind of technique, which doesn't require these manipulation, concentration, or forcing the mind. And so all those who are most skeptical and they don't want to force the mind, they don't want to concentrate, they don't want to have yet one more job to do, which is meditation, they're welcome to try transcendental meditation because they will have perfect effects and those who want to concentrate, well, we'll teach them how not to concentrate during transcendental meditation, yet gain the ability to concentrate in a spontaneous, natural way after transcendental meditation. Because research has shown that those who practice this innocent technique are able to concentrate better, are able to use their time more effectively because they are present. They become present and they have cleared up their stresses and strains. So two more quick questions and then I wanna pivot. First question is any suggestions on how you find the time to do this? You know, they, you know, everyone's life is so busy, wall to wall, get up in the morning, kids, school, this, 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 this for so many people, not everyone, but many people, how do you, how does one find any suggestions for finding the time? 
Time is relative, actually. And what do you mean? Of course, if you take the clock, then it moves at a certain speed, of course. And we're not talking about Einstein's relativity and speed of light and all that. That's too complicated. But time is relative in the sense that you can spend two hours in front of a task that you want to do and not really achieve much. That depends on your state of awareness, your state of consciousness, your ability to focus, your ability to move from one point to the other in an effective way. So somebody who is rested and able to be clear, and we know this from our daily experience. If you had a good night's sleep, for example, you wake up, you're rested, you've had good diet, you're feeling good, something happens, you can overcome it very quickly. You can attend to your studies, you can attend to your activities in an effective way. And if there is a big problem that can happen, you are most able to and most equipped during that time to handle it and find solutions because you have a little bit more rest and broader comprehension. Now, imagine if you are much more rested than just a good night's sleep, and that is what TM gives. It gives that very deep inner rest so the body is rested, physiology is rested, but also at the same time gives great alertness. Activity on the intellectual level is very alert after resting so deeply in this quality of rest. And therefore, time that we use in our day, if it is wasted, then it is wasted, unfortunately, and misused. Transcendental meditation is an investment in time. Which means if you have a few minutes that makes you much more effective during the day, then you're investing in time. It's like you have money and you want to keep your money, but there is inflation. And then after a while, your money's value is decreased. But if you invest your money properly and you beat the inflation, then you are able to use your assets in a much better way. So money is an asset that can be invested properly. And when you invest it, it's like you lose it. Oh, I lose my money. How do I find the way to do it? I don't have my money anymore. That company took it or that stock took it or that activity took it. And it's the same with time. If you invest in yourself and you invest in time to be able to use time better, then you will find that uh, it is a wonderful uh, return of your investment. So how you find the time? Very simple. You set yourself a routine and you know that you have to rest. So you have to sleep, you have to eat, you have to exercise, you have to meditate. And meditate gives you that ability to be effective and therefore, it's gaining time, not using time or wasting time. Thank you very much. So uh, one more question on the meditation, then we'll pivot. First of all, how long have you been meditating? A uh, long time. <laughs> Some, uh, let's say 45 years or so. And what's the single most important benefit that you've received when you look back from the meditation? It's inner feeling of well-being clarity of thinking, ability to handle myself and my environment, to be healthy, to be patient, to be effective in action, 
And overall, this comes to greater happiness and greater sense of fulfillment inside. So we live our lives through our awareness after all. There are so many things on the outer value that can help us that are desires that we need to accomplish, wealth that we need to, would like to have, uh, circumstances that we want to change, friends that we want to have change, you know, contribute to the environment and all of this contribute to, to life, contribute to creativity. So every one of us has their vocation, their dream, and their ideas about what they want to be. But all of this is based on how we are able to navigate all of this, how we are able to perceive it. What is the end effect on us? So now two people can get the same results on some surface level, and one can be very happy, the other can be disappointed or can be unhappy. So we have to have two things. We have to have always the desire to grow because that's the nature of life to grow. So we don't want just to take something and sit back and say that's enough. So the desire to grow is very important and it should continue, but also the ability to be content, the ability to be happy with what we have. And what is what I found most interesting is that these two con apparently contradictory values are able to, to live together uh, when one practices this technique regularly, which means to be happy and satisfied and yet has the powerful desire to do more and to do better. And doing more and doing better is no more a sense of lack or a sense of sadness. I, I have to, you know, uh, disappointment. I am not yet there. I can't, you know, do it. But it's actually a sense of growth and continuing uh, evolution and growth at the same time on the platform of inner stability and strength and contentment. So good. Thank you very much. And now if we can just pivot for a moment. We go from the, the point value of reduced stress and you know greater happiness and all of that to this topic of consciousness, which when uh, whenever you talk to most people, now I'm not talking about you know in the scientific journals and there's a, a big discussion about consciousness and the, the hard problem of consciousness. You say consciousness and people either say consciousness raising. Well, that was like in the 60s or he regained consciousness. He came out of surgery. You've written an entire book, a sort of, I would say, the, the ultimate book on this field, Consciousness, One Unbounded Ocean of Consciousness, which I know you there is the audio book now available, which you can get online. But talk to me about why consciousness, why a person should be care about consciousness, why they should, with all the other demands that they have in their life and important things, why this field of consciousness is so relevant today. 2023, as we live our life today? The short answer is consciousness is all there is. <laughs> and that's quite a short answer that needs really to be unpacked because, you know, it supposes so many things. First, if we want to talk about consciousness, we have to define what it is, what we're talking about. What is that consciousness? It's a substance, it's something. What is it? Where does it sit in our life? 
And what are the different definitions of consciousness? There is a human consciousness, there is meta consciousness, which is being conscious of being conscious. And uh, we have to define it. And what we are doing and what, what I like to do and what I define in the book is that consciousness has a range. It's a huge range in the expressed manifest universe in which we live. So much so that any detection, any sensing, any experiencing, any feeling is consciousness having a certain color. It's you sense something, which means you're conscious of it, you're aware of it. You feel something, it means you are aware of certain changes in your physiology, in your mind, in your relations that you call feeling. Now, that means we live our life through consciousness, and consciousness is not just one kind of a state. It can be on many, many, many states, which means you can be drowsy. That's also a kind of consciousness. You can sleep. It's actually a kind of consciousness also. You are dreaming is a kind of consciousness. It's, a, you know, imaginary things. You are awake. When you're awake, you can be drowsy. You can be alert. You can have a wide comprehension. You can have a narrow vision, which means if you are under stress, that one thing overwhelms you, you have a fixed idea and it bothers you. What we call this is a narrow awareness. Your awareness narrows down to a specific topic and it doesn't see the full range of possibilities. So what we have to understand is that there are ranges of consciousness. So even we can say the cat has consciousness, the dog has consciousness, even the tree has consciousness uh, because it senses something. It Even it senses the sunlight, it senses the energy in the earth, it senses the electromagnetic fields. So all these sensing, detecting, feeling, experiencing are actually part of the spectrum of consciousness. And even in human beings, we have a different range of consciousness. We talked about deep sleep, dreaming, waking. These are major big categories, but there are, you know, vegetative states and coma and altered states of consciousness and state of consciousness under drugs, state of consciousness when you drink a coffee, state of consciousness when, you know, you are afraid, state of consciousness where the mind narrows down to, to topic state of consciousness, where you have to have a broad comprehension and ability to consider many, many values. So when we come to ourselves as an individual, we are a container of knowledge, if you like. And that container of knowledge can be expanded. The more knowledge we have, the better our life is the better decision makings we can have. But to have more knowledge, the container of knowledge has to be bigger. So in a small glass, you can put so much water. In a swimming pool, you can put more. In a lake, you can put more. And in the ocean, you have much, much more. And if the ocean is unbounded, <laughs> then you have a huge ability of being aware 
of different factors, different variables that influence your life, that influence your activity. And so how big is the container of knowledge, your container of knowledge? And we're saying this in terms of how big, how large, how expanded is your consciousness? Under stress, consciousness narrows down. And this has physiological uh, counterparts. We can see this in the brain, in the actual brain. When there is a high stress, the blood flow in the brain goes to only specific parts that deal with stress. You know, parts of the limbic system, the amygdala, whatever, te te technically speaking. And therefore, the other parts of the brain, the cortex and the parts that think about the future, anticipate of future, think about philosophy, meaning, intellectual analysis, opportunities, uh, being able to see contradictory values and make them work together which requires a big activity of the brain. So what we have seen is people who are under stress, their mind narrows down to very specific values and they stop seeing the bigger picture. People who are with higher consciousness, who are able to transcend stress, go beyond stress, even physiologically, the activities of the brain on the cortical level are increased. There is bigger blood flow to the parts of the brain that deal with so many different variables. And on the behavioral intellectual level, they're able to handle much more complex situations with much greater creativity. So consciousness can be expanded. We can expand the container of the knowledge and we can ultimately make the container so huge that it can spontaneously capture and spontaneously compute large numbers of factors. And that's what allows the individual to be more successful and to make the right decisions, be it for health or for growth and progress. So consciousness can sound like intangible thing, but it's a very, very real reality. And ultimately, it's, it's that what counts. At the end of the day, makes a difference. You can be a billionaire and in coma. What does the billion help you? You can be the most loved person, the most famous, the most powerful, but you are not aware of it. You are not conscious of it, either because you're under anesthesia or you have a problem or you're in coma. So what does it matter? So what matters most? What matters most is what you are conscious of. What is the color of your consciousness, the color of your awareness and how expanded it is and how much it allows you to navigate your life in the best possible way. So very good. So one final question on this, then we have go back to the meditation. We'll come back to this. So many questions are coming in. This seems to be, you know, the, the frontiers of consciousness, research into consciousness, the idea of higher states of consciousness. I know that out in, in uh, Silicon Valley, they're looking on looking at different types of pills that will be immortality, you know, and other types of pills that will, you know, just make us disease free. There's this sort of sense of of a, a potential hugeness in the in human life. Could you comment on that and and tie it back to meditation and 
and what you've been talking about? Yeah, there are different approaches in medicine and science to improve health, of course, fight disease, and hopefully even fight aging and cancer, disintegration of the body, uh, and all of that, all this degenerative disease versus uh, other kinds of things. And so it's fine. This is good from the level of the physical aspects of life. And that really is actually uh, different ways of modifying the physiology, which then is reflection of itself of the consciousness of the individual. Because our consciousness is the result of the consciousness of all that there is in our physiology, not only our nervous system, but our heart, our liver, our body as a whole contributes to our experience of reality and our experience of our life and where it's going. You know, if you have pain in the finger, the finger is hurt, that influences your ability to think properly, to make a decision. So healing on the surface level is also influencing the aspects of consciousness. Now, you can do things from this physical level but you can also do it from the consciousness level directly. And from the consciousness level, particularly when a technology is natural, it's uh, simple, then uh, the side effects are much less. The problem that we encounter with specific approaches is that there is a complexity in the physiology that we do not understand yet completely fully on the physical level. And when you act on some level, you are likely to disturb other levels if you don't balance them properly. That's why using like specific targets that make some specific changes is not necessarily the safest and most effective way over a long period of time. Whereas acting from the level of awareness itself has been shown to improve all the other aspects in a natural way. So there is a procedure, which is a technology of consciousness that allows us to naturally remove the stresses and strains, the wear and tear of the physiology and reestablish it and awaken even uh, the different positive aspects even of our genetics, our DNA, which is the new science or not so new now anymore, the, of epigenetics, which shows that even from behavior, from different activities, you can change the expressions of the genes. And so consciousness and the technology of consciousness is very, very profound, very holistic and complete, which is very important in terms of safety, in terms of long-term protection of the body and protection of the mind and going in directions that are safer. So trying things will, will continue. They can be also helpful in some levels. There is a high risk. And I would say if we want to try all of these aspects, we better try it from a platform where we are as holistic as possible. And that 
holistic aspect is an aspect of awareness of being able to take into consideration as many different factors as possible. And to be able to do that, we have to have as broad understanding, as broad comprehension, as broad consciousness as possible. Use the term technology of consciousness. Could you explain that? It's, you, know, you think of like, here's a technology of electromagnetic, you know, this is a technology, but one doesn't nor normally associate that with consciousness. Could you unpack that just for a moment before we go to questions? Technology means a simple set of steps that you do that lead to a certain result that you expect. And if these steps are systematically done and they are reliable and repeatable, then you say it's a technology that actually produces an effect. So there is a technique, which is a certain set of steps that you do mentally that lead to broadening awareness and consciousness. That's as simple as that. You know, the technology of, as we said, flipping the switch and getting light is the simplest technology of getting light in your house. And it doesn't depend on understanding the whole electromagnetic theories and, and field theory. So technology is a way to do it that doesn't depend on profound engineering studies. And so that's why it's simple, it's easy, you do it and it works. And that's really simply why it's called a technology of consciousness. But doesn't it come, then it stand to reason that pretty much everything is either a good technology of consciousness or a bad technology of consciousness. I eat this food or I listen to that music. It has, it rebuilds or good for tech, good technology of consciousness, everything. Would it not be? Yeah, yeah. Everything that we do influences one way or the other our awareness, our consciousness. So music is, is a great way. If you like music, you know, thinking about things, contemplating, calling friends, playing games. All of these are technologies, are ways, in a sense, of growing and experiencing and feeling better. So we're not discarding all these possibilities. But again, you know, there is technology of a way to go from LA to New York. It could be walking, it will get you there, no problem. You could also use a technology of bicycling, which is also a technology of the, you know, it'll take you there a little faster. You can go by car or you can fly or something, whatever ways you want to do uh, that can get you there much faster. So there are different technologies and they can all lead you at the end to the goal or the final goal. But we think and we feel based on scientific research that this uh, transcending technology is a very fast and direct experience of the broadest field of awareness. So you go to the essence directly to it. I mean, yoga is a technology. You do the stretching like this, yoga asanas. But transcendental meditation is also a technology, a technology of the mind that produces the effects directly on consciousness and the mind. Um, is there a particular time of day that's best to do the meditation? Usually in the morning before breakfast and the evening before dinner sometime. But you can do it anytime. You can do it in the car, in the train, during commuting. It's so natural and easy 
that it really it transcends, if you like, changes in the environment. But if you want to do it in the best possible way, you sit comfortably in a chair. And before, before eating, it's better because when you eat, the whole blood flow is moving towards the digestive system and the body is worried to do something else than transcending. What if you fall asleep when you're meditating? In this technique, we don't resist anything. We don't control anything. And so you will learn when you learn transcendental meditation that it gives the body what it needs. If the body needs sleep, then we don't resist it. Could you talk a little bit, this is the topic of this discussion is the ripple effects. And there's um, discussion about transcendental meditation having a ripple effect beyond the individual meditating. In fact, uh, Maharishi himself, who founded the Transcendental Meditation Program and asked you to be his successor, talked about that if there was 1% of a world's population meditated, transcended, that that would create, that would prevent any violence, any war from happening. Uh, that's a big, for a lot of people, a big assumption or claim. Could you comment on that? Yeah, this, you know, the answer to this has two values. First, the experimental finding. Does it work like that? And second is the explanation. Why does it work? How does it work? It sounds like magical. Do you do magic or what? And so in order to address this scientifically, we have to have these two values. Let's start with the simplest value. It's a value of technology. You know, you flip the switch, you get the light. Okay, you know you get the light. Now you want to be curious, how does the light come? What generates electricity? How electricity travels? What does it do to the light bulb so that the light comes? Okay, this is engineering. This is technological analysis of the technology in terms of what happens. Now, we did the studies repeatedly of where a number of people practice transcendental meditation and the, the effect is called the Marishi effect in honor of the founder of the technique and his prediction that when a small number of people practice this effect in a society, the results are not only on the individual, but on the whole society. And so this has been repeated many, many times. And whenever in a town or a city, there was 1% of the people practicing transcendental meditation, there was decrease in crime, decrease in accidents of the road, better, better social indicators, better economic indicators, uh, less uh, imprisonment, less crime, et cetera, et cetera. And so this has been repeated until we had an advanced technique, which is called the city program, where we have found that the square root of 1% of the population practicing this technique together lead to tremendous effects, which again have been studied. And there are two recent very important studies that have shown systematically and studied really statistically very, very carefully and took all possible other factors that could have created the effect controlled for them and made sure that they are not the ones creating the effect, such as, you know, change in weather, uh, you know, change in the news or whatever it is. And they, they correlated the number of people practicing transcendental meditation with indicators of stress in the United States and conflicts and all of that. And they found a one-to-one -one very profound correlation. So on the 
empirical level, if you like, which means the study level, yes, if you flip the switch, the light comes. And in this case, if you do it, the results are there. Now, the problem is, I mean, it's not the problem if you look at it carefully, is that people say, but how does it work? What's the ideal? Somebody closes the eyes and what do they do? And does any meditation work? And it's not, no, you have to transcend. You have to go somewhere. So how does it work? And that is what I have also tried to explain in the book, One Unbounded Ocean of Consciousness, on the basis of the simple answer that consciousness is primary. We think that matter is primary. We think that the whole universe is an expression of energy, matter, and scientists have been trying to look at what is the origin of everything. And since time immemorial, the Greeks and much before, they've analyzed matter to try to look at what is the essence of our life, the ultimate reality. So they said, if you take an object and cut it into pieces, you will reach at a point where you cannot cut it anymore. And that we will call the atom, the undivisible atom, not divisible. And so there is the atom. Now scientists probe deeper into the atom and they found that it's divisible. <laughs> there are more elementary particles, electrons and protons and neutrons. And they dug deeper into those and they found they are made out of quarks. And then what are the quarks? They found that it's actually fields, fields of electromagnetism, gravitational force, weak and strong forces. And the fluctuations of these fields are what appear as elementary particles that come together. They form atoms, atoms come together, form molecules, molecules come together. They form tissues and cells and then come together organs and organs form a human body, for example, or any other object. And so diving deep into the essence, there is more and more unifying values, except that they found different fields, for example, electricity on one side and magnetism on the other side. And when they analyzed deeper, they found that it's one field, it's called the electromagnetic field. So there is a field, a field is something that transcends time and space and locality, but is having different values in different places in time and space. And then as they look deeper and deeper into uh, these fields, they found more and more unified values. So that science is leading us towards what we call a unified field, a field that is the source of everything. So what is the ultimate reality is more unified value. So what looks on the outside as separate and distinct is much more unified in the level of the bottom level and the level of the essence of thing. So we are all interconnected and there is something we can call the collective awareness. Now, if you act from this field, which I take the logic and the, the idea, the theory, if you like, the presentation, that it is actually a field of consciousness and a field of awareness. And there is huge support to that idea being by scientists and philosophers alike, great thinkers. So it's not something uh, 
that is outlandish and uh, only for some esoteric people who are having their secret ideas. It's something that is becoming more and more understandable and acceptable that there is a field. And if that field is a field of consciousness, then when you transform your consciousness, you are transforming the collective consciousness to some extent. That will be very minor if you are only one person, but it seems when there are a number of people who do it and there is a critical number, then you are changing the collective awareness. And when you change the collective awareness, the collective consciousness, then you change the behavior of that collectivity of people. And that's how you get improvements and better solutions, not only on the individual level, but also on the social level. See, our brain is made out of billions of neurons. Each neuron is a lively living cell and organism that has its digestion, its reactions, its chemical things, etc. Together, we're saying, okay, when all of these billions of neurons work together, they create our consciousness or they reflect our consciousness. Now, I'm not going to go into why this is not 100% accurate. No, no, no. <laughs> Let's assume that. In society, it's the same. The collective consciousness is the result of the individual consciousness of all the individuals in society. And to change society, you have to change the individuals in society. Fortunately, you don't have to change every individual, but you can change the collective feeling, if you like. And you can change the collective feeling with a critical number of people who settle down and transcend and reach that unified field, if you like. Now, this is theory, of course, but again, it's the same as saying, how does electricity work? The thing is, if you want light, you don't have to understand how electricity works. If you are curious and you want to know the mechanism, there is a logic. There is a very profound and complete logic from different angles that corroborate and come together to give us a strong theoretical understanding of how it works. It is very solid, in my mind, very scientific and very convincing. But you really don't need even to go there. Does it work? Yes. So that's the bottom line. You flip the switch, the light comes, square root of 1%, practice this technique repeatedly, the results are systematic, reliable, and repeatable. Thank you. That was uh, extremely profound. Let's go back to point value then. A few questions have come up. A lot of interest in meditation for themselves. And the nice thing is, as you say, it just happens. It spreads out on its own. If a person is interested in learning transcendental meditation out of a book, what would you recommend? Transcendental meditation is taught by direct connection. The teacher has to meet you and give you the instructions on a personal level. And then you can have a follow-up for three days after the initial uh, instruction uh, on a personal level. And these few days can be done in a group or there is even an app that is available for follow-up. 
but your teacher will be always there with you. He will be the guide and uh, you can refer to them personally. Uh, there is a tm.org or David Lynch Foundation. DrTonyNader.com yeah. and tm.org. I think those yeah. two those those two would be. Um, and the DLF, best. David Lynch, do you, you have? No? DavidLynchFoundation.org, but for simplicity's sake, I think just go DrTonyNader.com or tm.org. And uh, one final question, and it's a it's a practical one. Can you walk and meditate at this, then do TM at the same time? Person says they 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 like to for move. children from uh, you know from five to ten, they have what we call a walking technique. Yes, they can do it, but for but, the adults, it's best to be sitting comfortably in a chair and meditating. You don't have to take any special posture. As we said, you can do it in the train or in the car, of course, if you're not driving. Yeah. And just to uh, a few other, I'll just answer a few questions. The requirements to learn transcendental meditation are the four days of instruction that Dr. Nader pointed out. You can see that at tm.org or drtonynader.com. It is a nonprofit organization. There is a course fee that is asked at the time of instruction that is based on a person's income. We don't ever want to keep anyone from learning, but we also want to be able to sustain the teachers and the institution and the organization. But it's it's a nominal fee for the amount of time that you receive from a certified teacher. Katera, can I say a final word? Absolutely. I yeah. want to thank you, Katera, for this opportunity and uh, to, to share this knowledge. And I really want to thank Dr. Nader for taking the time out. I should understand, Dr. Nader runs... There's a, a TM nonprofit TM organizations in a hundred countries, multiple universities, multiple programs. He's in charge of all of that and his wonderful family as well. And so I wanted to thank you very, very much, Dr. Nader, for taking time and sharing your wisdom. And I think next time we should have like six hours. <laughs> really thank you, Bob and Katera. It was a joy. It's wonderful to be with agreed. you. Agreed. Agreed on the six hours. But I want to thank you both so much. Thank you for that, that outro um, and uh, for this deeply powerful conversation. I loved the reference to expanding our container to have the capacity to take in more knowledge. So thank you for that, along with everything else. And I want to thank both Dr. Tony Nader and Bob Roth for their time this afternoon in helping us gain a better understanding of our own consciousness and how the practice of Transcendental Meditation has positive impacts that reach beyond even ourselves. So stay well, and thank you for attending the Spark Your Health Talk with the 92nd Street Y. Thank you for tuning into Dr. Tony Nader, the podcast. And if you're interested in learning more from Dr. Nader, please follow him on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube.